This is Transistor.fm. Hey, everybody. Happy holidays and welcome to Build Your SaaS. This is the behind the scenes story of building web apps in 2020, soon to be 2021. I'm Justin Jackson, and I got into a little Twitter debate with Jason Freed of Basecamp, and I DM'd him and said, hey, let's let's have a, a Skype conversation about this. And so we jumped on the mics and talked it out, and I found the whole thing, I think the whole thing's fascinating. I think you're going to like it a lot. Here it is, Jason Freed and I kind of uh, not duking it out, having a good back and forth, a good discussion. And what uh, reveals itself is that a lot of our business philosophy is informed by our experience and our personal history. Give it a listen. I, and I can't remember how you and I even got into this. I think I said, yeah, demand isn't just a function of do people want this, but also how many people want this and how much will they pay? And I can't tell if you and I are just like talking past each other in the sense that we have a different definition or um, or what. So where do you think our disagreement is with when it comes to this idea of uh, market or demand? Because it, it seemed like you were saying you can control pricing, but that's it. Am I understanding? Yeah, kind of. So, all right. First of all, um, I think what's interesting about discussions about market is I think what people leave out and not that you, you left this out, not that you don't understand this because you do, because I, I read your stuff and I know you, who you are and everything is that market's also a function of your own economics. Like you, if your costs are low, your market might be considerably larger than if your costs are high or vice versa. Like point is, is that I might be able to exist. There might be a market and Company A cannot exist in that market because their costs are crazy. But company B could because they only have four people and like they don't need much to get by to make a profitable, sustainable business. So it's not just about like the market size. It's about what are your costs? Because I might be able to live in a market with only a thousand customers because I have, I'm just making up numbers because I have 10 employees and my annual spend, let's call it a million bucks, whatever, versus a company that has that's built has 340 people. They can't exist in a, in a market with only a thousand customers that are willing to pay them two hundred bucks a month or something like that. So that's kind of markets a tricky term because I think people think it's that num that the addressable number of people or companies that want to buy mm -hmm. something, but that's not the whole story. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's maybe the the big shape, but can your shape fit inside that shape? Is a function of your own cost. Yes. In your own yeah, yeah. So, okay, this is perfect. I think this is why I like using surfing as a metaphor here. Because surfers sit in the water and they wait for waves. And, you know, if I'm sitting in the water with, uh, is it Kelly Slater? No, I'm, no, I can't remember if that's the right guy. But Slater, I think, was it? Yeah, or he's a skater. I don't know what let's he see was. Here. Uh, yeah, Kelly Slater. Yeah, yeah Kelly both. Slater. Okay. So I'm sitting in the water with him. And I'm going to be looking at small waves, right? I'm going to be like, I'm a beginner. 
I'm looking for the shape of waves that I can ride. And Slater's looking at massive waves. He's like, I've got the skills, the expertise, the experience, everything to ride this wave. But the, the, I could also be sitting in the water and Kelly's like trying to mentor me. And I say, Hey, what about that wave? And he'll say, no, that wave's too small. You can't ride that wave. And I think this is for people starting out, you could certainly go after a market that's too big, but the nice thing about going after a market that's too big, like the project management market, is that there's lots of opportunity there. You can shave off a little bit of that market for yourself and you've got something. Whereas if you shave off a little bit of nothing off something that's smaller, you're left with just a lot less. And the, the, what I'm, I think, communicating is that if you're just starting out, one of the most important decisions you'll make is what wave are you going to ride? And I think you can learn to observe the size and shape of waves and match that up with, again, your skills, your abilities. Can you ride it and win or compete? Um, and the... The danger is that sometimes, especially in the beginning, is you get desperate and you go, well, any wave will do. Or, uh, you know, I started a snowboard shop in my early 20s and did not consider what that wave would look like when I was actually riding it. What the market, the market determines kind of everything. And we almost, in a lot of cases, treat that decision of what market are you going to go after as just like, Ah, it doesn't matter if you hustle hard enough, you can, or even like if your costs are low enough, you can just go after anything. But really that de decision determines your trajectory. It determines how far you're going to go. It determines how difficult it's going to be. It determines the potential. And so I know, for example, the podcasting market has a ceiling. It's only going to get so big. The market's only so big. And I could steal all of my customers' competitors and everything, and I'd still probably only have 100,000 customers. Like, that's as big as it's going to get. Whereas if I went into WordPress hosting, like uh, Jason Cohen, well, he's like, you know, he, he could have 350 million customers because there's, I don't know, there's probably 550, block, 550 million blogs. So that's that's kind of the point, is that the, the market is the most important decision. It's where you're pointing your boat. And then everything after that, sure, you need to be the right surfer, have the skills, all that. But uh, in most cases, I see people choosing waves that are not right for them, or too small, or they're not even in the right place. They're on a pond or something. I guess, I guess, um, I, yes, th those things are true. But I, I feel like it's it's sort of again only really part of the story because for example, some people might be really intimidated entering a large market because a large market is going to have massive competitors and probably entrenched powerful competitors, and so they might not do it at all because it's like, well, how am I going to beat? This is like, how am I going to beat Mike? Now it's not so much Microsoft anymore, but when we go ahead and like, oh, Microsoft, or how, how am I going to beat Apple, or how am I going to beat Google? And now some of these are, are have, may have monopoly powers and whatnot, but you know, or like let's take Spotify and podcasting. It's like 
now with, with Spotify buying all these other firms, it's like, well, why would I get in the podcast mm-hmm. business? Like they're going to crush everybody. It's a huge market, but they're going to crush everybody. So I'm not even going to get into that. So I think people can get intimidate themselves out of it. But really like if you're just, a, it depends also what your definition of like enough is. If you need 100,000 customers because you made up that number and that's what you want to get and that's your goal, you might not get that if you've got a bunch of other people playing in the, in the same waters. You may not get the waves you want or get be able to jump on the waves you want. But like maybe if you're like, I just want to have a nice sustainable business. Um, I only need six or seven people to do this. If we get 10,000 customers and they're going to pay us X, like we can have a great business. That That's how I, I mean, this is just where I'm coming from. That's how I've always thought about it, which is, for example, let's take email, right? We just entered the email market. Hey, uh, which is one of the biggest markets in the world, dominated by the biggest companies in the world who all give it away for free. Okay. Now, why in the hell would we enter that market, compete with those players and charge for something that they gave away mm-hmm. for free? Well, because we don't need what they need. They need if they were charged if they had if that was their only business because of course they subsidize it with everything else but if that was their only business they might need 40 million customers to justify their expenses because they'd have a team of hundreds on it and they you know they whatever we have in the first few months over 30,000 paying customers now that's not going to pay for all the effort we put into it yet but it's a great start and if we can get 40 or 50 or 60 or 100,000 that's a great business we have there which would be a terrible business for Google. In a terrible, if if Google, if Gmail only ended up with a hundred thousand paying customers, if they were, tra- they would shut the product down in five seconds. Me, I'd be like, my God, this is amazing! I can't believe that we have a hundred thousand people paying us for email. So yeah, it, that's why that's where the economics part of it comes in. And my my general feeling is that these days, unless you're in something super esoteric and super narrow, I think the market's quite big for most small businesses to do pretty well if they do it well. That's kind of my feeling. I know that there's obviously like weird, small, super small niches um, that are really hard, obviously, you know, uh, but, but I think these days there's a lot of things that are big enough for a lot of small companies to do well in, but they're not going to, if their goal is to be the next Google, no, there's not enough headroom which is kind of what we're talking about here. It's not enough headroom in the market to get to that size because the, the market isn't big enough, but it's big enough to build a sustainable business. So kind of what is your end? What are you looking for? What do you want to do? Where do you want to get? Is I think a bigger, bigger early question too. Yeah, and I wonder if I'm more pessimistic than you. <laughs> okay, because That's, that'd, be a, that'd be a first. I always, you strike me as a very optimistic. I mean, I, I am pretty optimistic, but the <laughs> this is actually where I disagree with uh, Kevin Kelly a little bit because he wrote this article called A Thousand True Fans. And the idea is that because the internet is so big, you can almost choose any niche and any niche will do because you'll be able to find enough people in that niche to make a living. But that rule just does not seem to follow regular laws of distribution. Uh, You know, most things that are sustainable actually have big markets. Like a lot of bootstrap companies are in big markets. They're not in tiny little niche markets. They're not um, 
serving, you know, the five fans of Star Wars that really love that one Ewok. Like that's not, and there might be a thousand people that love that. But once you think about a business and especially a software business, it's really about volume. And so even a two-person company like Transistor, we need hundreds of trials every month in order to convert enough people to paid, in order to grow, in order to outrun churn. I think maybe part of this is based on my experience of, you know, a lot of my business career was me treading water, like making enough money but sometimes my head falls underneath the water. Sometimes I'm above. But it wasn't, it wasn't, um, it honestly wasn't better than being an employee. And then Transistor, I had this experience of, again, not a massive market. But all of a sudden, I have margin. And where's the margin coming from? It's coming from the volume of people starting podcasts. There's just enough people every month that when I open my doors to my metaphorical coffee shop, there's people waiting in line to buy coffee. And I'll open that on Monday and there'll be a lineup and I'll open it on Tuesday and there'll be a lineup. And that feeling has just been incredible for me to the point where like, I think Transistor's a really good business for John and I. And the enjoyment has been so much greater, partly because the money is there, partly because there's enough demand that it just outstrips what I was doing before. And um, yeah, so I, I think that's where part. I think we both agree though on that. However, you use the word margin. So I'm going to, I'm going to use okay. it. Against you. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but in a good way, I mean, you have margin because you have two employees, your costs are low. Um, if you follow the typical, you know, Silicon Valley approach and raised some money, you might have 24 employees by now. I'm sure there's 24 employees worth of work if, if you needed it. Always is. Um, and then would there be any margin left or would you be underwater again? So, so what, what, you, what you are is you've stepped into a, a market that's been proven by maybe the big players, which is it opens, it opens the doors, obviously. And, 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 and they're the ones that are investing in like the awareness and like getting people mm-hmm. comfortable. So you don't have to do that work, which yes. is valuable. Um, with two people, you, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what you're, I don't know if you've shared your numbers or what they are and it, it, whatever it is, but like, it sounds like you got a good thing going. Part of that's because you have two people and that's why you're able to survive and thrive because you don't have, or employee, or you have, you have the head room and you don't have a bunch of salaries eating up your margin. So you are able to exist in this small world or in your small world, even though it's part of a much larger world. Who cares how big the world really is, as long as you have enough to cover your costs and to have some margin left over, which, which you are in control of. If you hired more people, which would be something you would do, you could go right back uh, in the red. If you, uh, or or um, you might have to raise your prices and then you're pricing yourself out of the market. Like there's all these other things that you actually have control of, which is price and, and costs. Um, you don't have control over the size of the market. Yes, but you do have control over the size of the market you choose. What market have you chosen? Well, we've chosen the podcast hosting market. Is that a market? It's a market because it's a category that people, like these are just words. Like, sure, categories yeah. are just things we assign 
arbitrarily that the market assigns. Like, am I, hey, Bill, go buy some CRM software. Well, that's now a yeah. category and that becomes the market. How much do businesses spend on CRM every year? It's this. How much do small businesses spend on CRM? It's this. And I'm not even that interested in like how that is actual quantitatively. I've always been more interested in like qualitatively. How does this feel? What is the, how much pull is there here in this market? And there was touchstones while we were thinking about doing Transistor. There's touchstones along the way that made me feel like now's a good time, I think, to get into this market. Um, and, you know, four years earlier, I would have said this market's not right. Like it's a lot of DIYers, a lot of hobbyists. People aren't spending that much money in here. But then things started to happen. And this is all environmental, mostly out of my control, right? All out of my control. But I can be in the water observing. And as this new podcasting wave started to crest, I had a decision of like, okay, am I going to go after that? Or am I going to go after something else, right? That's the decision you make in the same way that you could have gone, you could have started email, but you could have also gone into live chat. You could have gone into, uh, you could have done all sorts of things. Maybe you should have started a competitor to Heroku. Like we have all these decisions and I think. Yeah, but let me, let me, if, if I could, just for a second, I'm going to step in because the reason we did Hey and the reason you're doing this is because you like doing this. I wouldn't like building a Heroku alternative. I don't, I don't care. We don't care about that. So I don't, I, and you can totally tell me if I'm wrong because you, you know the answer and I don't. I don't think you sat around looking at markets and decided which market to get into. I think you said there should be an easier I do this podcasting shit all the time. This is, I, oh, I, I want to record my podcast and I want it to be on Spotify and Apple and whatever, whatever, whatever. Like I'm looking at your site right now, which I think the copy is great. It's like record your audio, upload your transistor. We'll help distribute it to Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Like, yeah, that's what I want. You built something that you wanted to exist. You didn't sit there and analyze the market. I think you just said, I know that this needs to exist. I want it for myself. Um, let's see what happens. It wasn't like, okay, the market, the addressable market is 122,000 people. And let's see, if we get 3%, like, no. And maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, but- I, think, I think you are wrong. Because I think... There's, there's a few different factors for me. One is, do I like it? Like, yeah, there has to be a fit between me and the market. Do I, can I win or can I at least compete? And yeah, there has to be a fit there too. But you can make up those answers. Like, tell me how you sat down. Tell me, how, t- tell me like, let's get back to the origin story. Why'd you build this? I was trying to think about my next move. Like, what am I going to do next? And... What were you doing? I was doing mostly, I created a course called Marketing for Developers. And I had it out for a while. And then I was doing, you know, I was doing some other things. I had an online community that was doing okay. But nothing had been, like, those were all, like, line drives. And I was like, I want to do, now is time to do something bigger. That's not just me. And so I explored a few options. At one point, I was thinking about buying a software company. And so I was like, oh, maybe I could buy something. You know, I have an online community. Maybe I should build an online community platform. And then John and I had been talking since 2014. 
And one day he mentioned um, that he that Cards Against Humanity was looking to start a new podcast. And at the same time, like I'd still stayed in the water. Like I was in podcasting forums. I was still like into it. I liked talking to other podcasters. And I'd noticed, you know, the New York Times is writing a piece on podcasting every week. We had Serial. I noticed you guys hired Waylon and like, there's just all this movement. And uh, John says, well, I think I'm going to build another hosting platform. He built one before. And for me at that time, everything kind of aligned. And I was like, John, we got to do this together. Like, this is, I'm, this is perfect. There's the opportunity. I feel like I'm built for this. You're built for this. Like, let's do it. And then we started working on it. But I, I definitely had a sense that there was an opportunity there that I could address. Like, it wasn't... I'm just curious, how was that different than when you opened a snowboarding shop? You realized at the end, maybe the snowboarding shop didn't work, but snowboarding's a big market. Uh, a lot of people snowboard. You're in a cold weather environment. The market should have been there. What, what, what was different, you think? In retrospect, all I was considering was it was something I wanted to do. But, and in my head, I was like, there must be a lot of money here because there's like, you know, dudes getting big sponsorship contracts and, you know, uh, but I think if I'd actually examined it, like what is the actual size and shape of this market? It wouldn't have taken too long to realize before we launched, or I could have launched something smaller and learned this too. You know, I could have talked to 10 of my friends, like, how often do you buy snowboards? Well, I buy one every three years. It's like, okay, well, that's not great. And then, you know, when's the last time you bought a snowboard? Well, I bought one on sale at the big, you know, wholesaler or retailer or whatever. So I think you can know some things beforehand. And the, to me, it is really like about looking at the size and shape of what this market is. And it wouldn't have, and especially now with the internet, like I listen to this podcast, F and Rad Snowboard Podcast, and it's just all former industry guys going, man, fuck, like there was no money in that industry. And we were pretending there was. And it's like, you could do the research beforehand and uh, 20 something thinking about starting a snowboard shop now you know, would be, would be able to, I think, have a better sense of whether or not it was worth it. Is the opportunity really there? Sure. But you could talk to 10 people who record podcasts and ask them like, how much money have you made after your podcast? Uh, zero. How many listens do you have? Seven. Um, this thing's going nowhere, yeah, man. Yeah. But the, the difference <laughs> is that you could say, because there is, there is something about um, what people have done. Like, I know that you famously say, uh, the only time to ask for people's feedback is when they've just bought or canceled. But you could also apply that same uh, logic to people purchasing other things. So I could go to my friends yep. and go, do you have a podcast? Yeah. Do you pay for it? Yeah. How long have you paid for it? Five years? Okay. Well, and I can repeat that enough times. And then we can do a small little test, do early access. And I asked 20 people and 10 people migrated over to us. I was like, oh, okay, well, this is actually at this scale. I haven't proven everything yet, but at this scale, it seems like uh, there's something here. And again, there just seemed to be a lot of interest in podcasting. Like there's just 
you can kind of see the the wave of interest mounting. I don't think it's dis, dissimilar from you noticing that there hadn't been anything new in email for a while. It's like, man, there's something here. Like, I think a lot of people have had, like, they, people were excited when Gmail came out. You're making an observation about past behavior. And the reason they were excited about Gmail is because all they'd had before that was Hotmail. And then Gmail came out and had something mm -hmm. new. We haven't had that in a while. And you're kind of feeling the water. There's like, oh, I think there's something here. But what, what is the market for paid email? It is tiny, <laughs> right? I mean, like, compared to, like, the, the number of people who get email for free, like, it's almost non-existent. It's a rounding error, the number of people in the world who pay for email. If I'd raised a bunch of money and had 195 people working on this, there's no way it would have worked. It's like, it's, but we don't have that. We have a much smaller crew. And I'm thinking, like, again, about your snowboarding thing the other thing you had in that world i'm guessing was inventory um and and that's you know something we luckily you and i don't have to deal with <laughs> um so that so there's that there's the 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 thing that saddles you and makes you like have to be su successful quickly because you have rent to pay and inventory sitting there that shortens the, the your runway essentially and makes it like wow we got to figure this out fast um, cause even as from, even if I was just working the shop myself, and I've got 180 grand in boards or whatever you have and fixtures and lights and insurance. It's like, I can't even survive three months on this, but with transistor, you're, you're where you are and John's where he is and, and you work remotely and you're in the little corner of your house or whatever you're in. And you're like, you, you, you can make this work in a way where you don't have costs to cover except other than your living expenses. And if you just have a few of you, you can cover those quickly enough. Not like, it's not easy. I know you guys have put a ton of work in your products. Fantastic. I mean, we host our stuff with you and it's great. Um, and I know it's taken a while and I've seen some of your tweets about like how long it took to get to 20,000 a month or whatever, you know, whatever it was. It's like, it takes a while, but um, now you're, I'm guessing you guys are in the black now oh, or yeah. close or pr yeah. profitable. Yeah. So like, and you have margin. Yep. If you had 10 employees, maybe you wouldn't be there. So like, that's kind of my point too. Maybe we're, maybe we both kind of agree, but are like approaching it from different angles. I see so many people pricing themselves out of a, out of a potential market by, by ballooning their costs mm -hmm. so early that the, it reduces the odds of success because like the only way to cover those costs is to have an outsized success mm -hmm. quickly. And that's just so hard. Yes. If you keep your costs low, you can survive longer. It's like if, if you're in the desert and you have only like, and you have like a little bit of food and you get lost, if you ration your food, you might have a better shot at survival than if you eat it all in the next three mm -hmm. hours. Like, you know, and, and I feel like companies that hire too many people are eating all their food in the first three hours, but they're not going to be rescued yeah. for a week. It's like, they're not going to yes. make it. Hey, do you want to start your own podcast? Head over to Transistor and use my coupon, transistor.fm slash Justin. You'll get 15% off your first year of podcast hosting. Um, and maybe that's not the best <laughs> analogy, but hopefully. You know I, mean. I think we're emphasizing different sides of the coin. So you are emphasizing yeah, okay. um, one of the ways you can optimize a business is to keep your costs low. 
One of the ways you can optimize margins is to keep your costs low. It's also one way you can optimize which markets you can go into. Because again, um, I mean, this has actually benefited email newsletters forever, is that it was just so messy and not quite big enough that Google and everyone else didn't want to go in there. And that left this big, wide open play uh, field for MailChimp to just be like, well, I guess, guess it's just us here, right? And, um, you know, that, that was beneficial. Uh, but on the other side of that, there is still, there has to be enough. It's like uh, Derek Sivers has this big thing of he's like, oh, if I only close 1% of the, of, of the people yeah, in this yeah. advertising, you know, this, this ad's going to be seen by 10,000 people. If I only close 1%. Yeah. But there's also uh, a number smaller than 1%. And there's also a number yes. smaller than 10,000 impressions. And those are both things that um, when you're going into something, you want to make sure that if I'm going to go into this, there's got to be enough potential, enough pull, enough uh, demand for what I have that it makes it worthwhile. Totally agree. I mean, yeah, of course. Like, I think that that's, yeah, of course. I guess maybe, I, I keep thinking about, is it Patrick McKenzie and his what, bingo yep. card creator yep. or whatever it was, right? Like, you can make that business work if it's just you. I when I when I was getting started, I made software to organize my music collection. It was just me, and all I had to do was make enough money to have some money at college, and mm -hmm. I did. And I don't know how big that market was, if it even existed really at all, if it was even a blip of people who want to organize their music collection. But it was enough to make me like twenty grand or whatever mm -hmm. it was that I needed. Um, yeah, and that was it. And like. So I don't care. It doesn't like, and I didn't think about, again, I mean, maybe this is just how we approach it, but I didn't think about like, will other people buy this? I'm like, I need this. Let me put it out there, see what happens. And I didn't put too much time up front into it other than like, I need to build it for myself. And then we'll see. Um, but if I had hired seven freelancers at the same time, like, no, it wouldn't have gotten off the ground because I would have run out of money immediately and then I'd be dead. So part of it is to me, it's like, the lower your costs, the 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 longer you the longer you give yourself to maneuver and find enough people to buy your thing. Because I do think they're kind of out there. Of course, not everything has enough people to get there. But and it is. I'm not. not I also want to be very clear. I'm not saying any of this is yeah. easy. I mean, not. It's not easy. But like, um, as long as you don't have a big hunk of inventory. As long as you don't have massive costs, as long as you have some income coming in some other way, you might be able to survive long enough to, to get to the other side, regardless of like how ultimately big the market is, as long as you cover enough of, of what you need covered. Um, but, but it may not be a long-term living. It may be a few years. Who knows? I don't know. Um, I think most people who are bootstrapping these days in North America, if you're a solo founder in North America and I mean, this is even not taking into consideration family and everything else. 20K MRR is kind of like, that's kind of like, I think where most people want to get to. And so certainly yeah. you need to line up your objective with what's going to get you there. And um, certainly like uh, a database to organize your, your cassettes, is, it's a good business if you're in high school. It's probably not a good business if you're somewhere else. Now, what 
what is the difference? The difference is in the size and shape of that demand. It's like how many people want that thing in the world? Yes. <laughs> what you're saying, yes. Yes. I think we would both agree that you can't go into something that like has no customers. Yes. And, and, and or even too little customers, right? Too few customers, especially depending on the timing. Because like for me, it's like this actually, these are, these are good nuances. I like this. I want to get into the nuances because that's really what this is all about. Because broad language, like the market, like I, the market is affected by multiple things, by your yeah. costs, also like by your goals in terms of like, not like fake goals, but like, what do you mm-hmm. need to live? And like, like you said, like when I was in high school or college, I didn't need that much to live. Now that I've got two kids and a family in a house, I need more to live. So like the market to me is, is very flexible and relative. It's a relative thing. It's not a fixed quantity that you can go out there and go, the market is this. It's like, well, what, what are your inputs to that market? How do they push and pull the market in a way where you can make it work for you or not, depending on your situation? That's kind of what I wanted to get to. Yeah, that, and that is interesting because you just said inputs to the market. And the way you think about market, which is fascinating, is how am I in relation to the market? So if I reduce my costs, well, all of a sudden I can fit into this little niche here and carve out a living. The way I've been thinking about market um, mostly is this how, how it is formed by external things outside of our control, like government policy, uh, bigger competitors, economics, you know, there's all these other things that shape it and um, that I'm endlessly fascinated by. I just think it's fascinating. And you're like, well, wait, how do we dance around this and look for our way in? I think it's both. I think it's like the government or government and regulation and, and, and people and interests, like that creates the big shape, but it's like, okay, so there's a big shape. There's a, there's, 422,000 people, according to the latest census that's bought whatever, or or homeowners in this region or something like that, right? You can like look at that and go, okay, well, that's like the the outer limit. That is the edge of the balloon or whatever. I don't know. Again, I'm using too many (laughs) metaphors here, but I'm just thinking it through on the fly. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I'm not going to get them all and there's enough and it's whatever. But like, what what are my circumstances? Mm -hmm. What do I need to to cover, to like get to where I need to get? How many people do I have? What are, what prices can I charge? How can I make this work given mm-hmm. those inputs? Like, oh, it turns out like, I don't, I don't need that many people. Um, our costs are pretty low. I can charge 30 bucks a month. Like, hmm, let's see where that goes. Like, that's how I kind of think about it. And it's all, all to do with time. Like maybe I have a, maybe this is a side business for me. If it's a side business for me, and I have most of my income coming in from a full-time job, like the number of people I need or customers I need goes down even further. Like it's a sliding scale. It's all relative like time is to me. That's kind of how I've always thought about it. Not about like what is the overall addressable market because that's something no one can ever hold anyway. Nobody has unless they're a true monopolist and they have the whole thing. Yeah. Otherwise you can slice and dice and it has a lot to do with who you are and what you need and what how you're set up and and that sort of thing. And of course, if it's a geographical thing, like where you're located, like I probably would have a pretty hard time selling snowboards in Florida. So, you know, that's not really, but it's not like the snowboard market is small. It might be small in that 
physical location yeah, for obvious reasons. In, so in Chicago, we've got a big, huge lake, great, yeah. great lakes, Lake Michigan. And um, sometimes you'll see like, but I don't think about it because I don't live near it. I mean, I live near it in Chicago, but I don't see it because I don't live like near the water. And every once in a while, I'll be driving down the street and I'll see like a boat and tackle shop. I'm like, what the, who is buying boat, like tackles and, or like, you know, bait and boats and stuff like what? And I go, oh yeah, there actually is a lake over here. But I only see one or two of those stores because there aren't that many that are necessary in that market in that area, but they exist. If they were a superstore and the guy took out a rent and like bought an old Target and tried to use that for his bait and tackle shop, like he would go out of business really quick. But he's got a tiny little thing in the strip mall because like that keeps his cost down and it allows him to, to survive in a smaller market. So a lot of it has to do with how you position yourself. And what I see a lot of entrepreneurs doing is they, they overspend, they hire too many people, they obsess over things that don't matter too early, and they put themselves out of the market because their costs are so high that they burn through their money before they've even figured it out. Yeah. I see that happen a lot. And it's not that there's not a market there. It's that they, they, they approached it, I think, too fast, the wrong way. They didn't achieve escape velocity. They burned their fuel, not didn't go, or this is, again, the wrong metaphor because I'm not talking about going fast enough, but like they didn't get out of orbit. They, they're not surviving now by, by orbiting, orbiting the market. They they were pulled back to earth and they crashed because they, they didn't have what it yep, took to yep. get there. Again, not the wrong, not the right metaphor in, in, in a lot of ways here, but um, I tend to hone my metaphors yeah. as I, as when I write. But when, I, when I'm thinking, I'm like no, kind of go all over the place. Yeah, so no, that's fine. So if you're trying to go fast, you're in a car, you're trying to go fast, your costs are like you throwing out uh, things that are dragging behind the car. Like it's, it's what it, weights Wait, or yeah, yeah. claws that are digging into the road and like slowing you down. That's, yes. that's the, that's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is in terms of what makes you go fast, especially in software is volume. And the, I think the other risk, depending again on what kind of business you want to run, but I'm coming from the perspective of like, I know what it's like to not, to have a business that doesn't have very good margin. And after the snowboard shop, you know, three years later, I got hired by a software company. And immediately I was like, this is way better. They, they had the same number of employees, but the margins, the margins here are killer. Margins are amazing. We are so lucky to be in this world, in this industry that has can have huge margins, although it's so fascinating to me that venture capital tends to kill margins in software businesses. Like a lot of these businesses that are funded, they're losing money. I don't know how you can lose money in software. I just, I don't, unless of course, like you don't have any customers. I get that. But to have like lots of customers and lose money in software, I I don't understand how that's, I mean, it's clearly possible. I just don't understand it because the margins are so high. it's, It's so funny. You keep going back to the cost side uh, which is, and, yeah. and maybe it's just our collective experience, because to me, what has been, certainly the cost side affects things. And my business partner is very frugal. So every t- there's a debate every time. <laughs> that, that's a good Midwestern yeah. boy. Uh, he, you know, he he's does not like spending money. It's a great partner to have. He's, he's the Roy Disney to my Walt Disney. Um, but... <laughs> The, on the flip side, uh, 
it is the fuel in your car when you're a software company is customers. It's people waking up every day and waiting outside your coffee shop for a cup of coffee. This is why coffee shops kill other types of restaurants. I might have pulled pork at my favorite barbecue place once a month. He's lucky if he gets me once a month. And if I spent a hundred bucks on pulled pork, that's a pretty good month for him. The coffee shop, I'll go there and easily drop six or seven dollars every day. It never feels like an expense. And I'm guaranteed Monday I'm going to show up, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I look in the lineup and there's everybody else. They're, they're only buying pulled pork once a month too. But Andrew, the coffee shop owner, gets them every single day. The, the difference is the, the type of demand. It's, these are how often do people buy? How often do they show up? How much do they spend when they show up? And of course, what are your costs associated with them showing up? But the front end of that is all the market. It's all demand. It's a shape of the market. There's a coffee market, and then there's a pulled pork market. And it, the, the economics are different. I would rather be the coffee shop owner. Yeah, but if that, co- first of all, coffee shops are not good businesses for the most part. So I know you go and spend six, seven bucks a day, but like, there aren't a lot of rich coffee shop owners around. Yeah, well, um, except, for, <laughs> except for Starbucks. Yeah, or Starbucks and, you know, Blue Bottle and, and uh, whatever. But like, yeah, it's not really a great, great business. Um, but if that coffee shop you go to um, may, have been, may have put their, their restaurant or their, 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 their storefront um, two miles down the road um, in the real high rent district area, same product, yeah. same demand, yes. out of business. Yes, yeah, but in software, I mean, arguably, I think actually arguably every Main Street business is not a good business. The more businesses I talk to on Main Street, yeah. the more I realize um, there's a lot of them being run as hobbies. There's a lot of them being run, like a lot of them are um, not, don't, don't. Loan to loan, like paycheck yeah, to paycheck. Yeah, they don't loan have great fundamentals. Yeah. Revolving credit. Yeah, for sure. Uh, coffee's better margins than most. But the point though, is that you do want the traffic. And this is why sometimes people pay for the traffic because sometimes it's worth it. It's better to have people interested and coming in the door than not interested. I wonder if, for example, for you, because I I can tell that you really like making things that you enjoy. Like you like making things that you've seen the problem and you're like, I can do this better. You're, You're much more of a product person than I am in that sense. Because for me, I just look I'm looking way more at the waves. I'm I'm looking at like, wow, this is interesting. And I think what's most significant, and I could be wrong, this could be total ego, but I think it is possible to be in the market and be in the water and learn to recognize the size and shape of good waves and to then make business decisions based on that. So as things are rolling in, going, oh, yeah, that, I can feel the pull. I can feel the energy in that wave. And, and, and for me, it's just a little, it's disconnected as from, I'm not like purely going, oh, yeah, I could make a better whatever. Like I, Yeah, there's different ways to approach it. And that's absolutely one way for sure. Like, and there's plenty of entrepreneurs, primarily like serial entrepreneurs who 
who do something and they kind of have a formula and they look for the like certain demand in a certain area and they jump in, you know, they're typically in it to get out of it from the beginning because they want to jump into the next wave that's coming. You can't ride that wave that long. Um, and they, and they know that, but that, that's kind of their, that's their thing. That's how they do business. And there's nothing at all wrong with any of that. So that, that is one, one approach to it. Um, I've just always been, my, my, my general perspective on all this stuff is just how do you increase your odds? And one of them, one way, one is like go into a market that's already proven where there's millions of people or whatever. And like, you don't have to like prove anything like it exists. That's one way to do it. And that's, that's yes, the, Certainly, that's one way to do it. I, I feel like, in my opinion, you should try to get really good at the things you can control because there aren't that many things mm-hmm. you can control. You can't control new competitors coming into the market. You can't control what a competitor does in the market. You can't control their marketing. You can't. Con- there's a whole bunch of things. You can control, hopefully, your costs. Um, and if you keep your costs low... And you keep your company small to start with, especially. You give yourself more time. And what I've seen happen over the years is that if you give yourself enough time, other people who don't have good economics fall by the wayside, and you're kind of left over. And at some point, if you're, if you're surviving, like you start to get strength because everyone else is just dying yes. along the way. And part of it is because they're spending themselves out of the market. They're spending them. They're not being responsible with how they're. And I know that's not you. I know you guys are, are really smart about this. I'm just saying I've seen this happen so many times. And I, like, there's been a million along the way, like Basecamp killer, Basecamp killer. Like, yeah, they're good products, but like, I can promise you, they're not going to be here in four years. They just they can't be. They have too many people, or like they don't care. This person did they're or they're one of those people who just look for the next wave. So like, they're just in this because this is hot for the moment, but they're going to yeah. lose interest in it. And, you know, people come and go. Um, but if you keep your costs low, um, you can survive for a longer period of time. And then you have more, more optionality if yeah. you're alive. So, you know, you can, you can do more alive than you can dead basically. And, and, um, so, you know, that's all part in of it. In this case, this is where, even though I think you and I have different sensibilities when it comes to, uh, especially I think what excites us at the beginning, um, that your sensibility about being in a business that's high margin, low cost, that has optionality really appeals to me because I do feel like I kind of want to ride this transistor wave as long as I can because I have a great life. I have so much margin, like financial margin, and it's partly why I I'm pushing on people to get into markets that at least give them that margin, have enough people spending enough money at appropriate margins to give you that life because it's just so much better. It's been so, like at the beginning of the pandemic, Totally. John meets with me. We have a little financial meeting. He's like, well, this could be it. He's like, but you know what? If we lose 50% of our revenue, we'll be okay. And just the calm that came from that was incredible. Spotify might come in, they might destroy us, but we could lose 50% of our revenue and still be okay. And so that part, I think I'm definitely on board with the, the resilience that comes. And a lot of this is, I mean, now Basecamp's, one of Basecamp's uh, strengths is that you've just been around for so, 
so long, anybody considering project management software is going to find Basecamp. You can't avoid it. You've just been around for too long, right? We've been around. Yes, we've been around for a while. um, And that's helpful. Um, And also you get get things from that too, which is you get legitimacy, um, you Mm -hmm. get reputation, you get more word of mouth because more people have more time to talk about you and that whole thing. But, but that's, again, like that's, that's, that's beyond that. That's what happens eventually. So like eventually is not what we're really talking about here. We're talking about like, we're really fundamentally talking about, is it viable to, to launch a specific business? Yeah. And I think we both are, both have different points of view that are compatible. One is it's gotta be enough people there. Obviously. The other one is, um, that, that we agree. The other one is like, you give yourself a better chance if you stay small because you have more options yeah. and you, you, if your costs are lower, you have more options. You don't need to serve as many people. It's hard enough to get customers. You can have much far fewer customers if your costs are low, like the, the addressable market becomes broader. Um, if your costs are low, because you don't have to get 30% of them or 20% of them, you can get 3%. You forget the whole, even 1% thing. I hate that whole saying, but it doesn't matter. None of that matters. It's like you need Y revenue to cover X costs and your, your X costs are quite low. You can get to a sustainable place pretty quickly, which gives you time. Mm-hmm. And that gives you lifeblood and it gives you air and it gives you food mm-hmm. and it gives you water. And like now you are in business yeah. still. And then you have more time to work out how to get more yeah. customers. But if your costs are too high early on, I don't care how big the market is, you're, you're not going to stay in business. You can't stay in business regardless of how fruitful the market might be for someone else. That's kind of my other point. So maybe we, maybe we both agree on that also. I don't know. Yeah. No, I think this is good. I think, I, I, I think we should end it here. But I, I, I do definitely think as this turns, the one thing I did appreciate was you really explaining how you think about like, oh, wait, I can maneuver my way around and fit myself into different markets depending on my costs. And I think that's, I think that's excellent. Um, the, the, maybe the next time we'll, we, uh, we talk, we can talk about how I think the, the market you're in actually determines your whole growth trajectory. And actually, after you've chosen that, it doesn't matter how much marketing you do and everything else. I think I think you're pretty much set. Uh, there's, there is only so m- much you can get at that point. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think there's some truth to that too. Yeah, we should actually talk about another topic another time, which is related, which is um, we've, we basically stopped buying. Last year, we, 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 we experimented buying a bunch of ads, uh, podcasts, sponsorships, you know, and, and, and print, print ads and physical billboard ads and text-based ads. And it's like, I couldn't be more bored than doing that kind of stuff. And it's just not, I mean, I don't think, I don't think it really hardly works for hardly anybody. I think that's the big secret. I think it works for some people, but this again comes back to costs. Like if you don't care what things cost and you have like unlimited money in the bank, people are losing money getting customers and they're seeing that that's a success. Like you and I can't do that. Our businesses don't work that way. And so we've stopped doing that altogether. Um, and we can talk about that, but, but, but yeah, I agree that in some ways people put too much, too much emphasis on, on marketing and they end up probably spending a lot of money that they shouldn't spend and doing a lot of effort that they don't need to make had they been in a different, on a different wave or, or, you know, in a different place, you still have to be 
discovered. You still have to be found out. And to me, that's more about differentiation. It's not about marketing. It's about point of view. It's not about marketing. So that those are different things. But um, anyway, that's another another topic yeah. for another time. Yeah, I think that'd be great to to talk about it another time. I'll, I'll have better metaphors next time. My metaphors are all over the place today. Um, but we'll hopefully it made sense. I enough. mean, as someone who loves metaphors, <laughs> hopefully it made enough sense. <laughs> Thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. Anytime, Justin. Good to talk to you. Yeah, good to talk to you too. See ya. Hope you enjoyed that one. If you did reach out, say, hey, just listen to Jason Freed and am I Justin and uh, share the episode on Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn, anywhere uh, that you're active. It'd be great for the episode to get some, you know, to, to get some traction, to, to go beyond our regular listenership. Folks, we are so thankful for everyone who supports this podcast on a monthly basis on Patreon. We have the Take It EV podcast, Ethan Gunderson, Diogo, Chris Willow, Mason Hensley, Borea Soler, Ward Sandler, Eric Lima, James Sowers, Travis Fisher, Matt Buckley, Russell Brown, and Vandro Sassy, Bredyuma Schembecker, Noah Prail, Robert Simplicio, Colin Gray, Josh Smith, Ivan Kirkovic, Shane Smith, Austin Loveless, Simon Bennett, Michael Sitver, Paul Jarvis, and Jack Ellis, Dan Buda. Darby Frey, Samori Augusto, Dave Young, Brad from Canada, Sammy Schuchert, Mike Walker, Adam Duvander, who just reached out to me and said someone recognized his name on a Zoom call, and say it with me, Dave Junta. We also have Kyle Fox at GetRewardful.com. Thanks, everyone. We will see you in 2021. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.